Chapter Seventeen of Thirty Two Caliber by Donald McGibney. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thirty Two Caliber by Donald McGibney. Chapter Seventeen. Red capitulates. We hurried over to the smashed plane, the coroner leading. Woods, in his effort to run me down, had forgotten the telegraph wires at the end of the field. Too late he had seen them and vainly tried to lift his machine clear of them. The wires had caught a wing and sent him crashing to the earth. We found him underneath the engine, quite dead, the fall having killed him instantly. We made an improvised litter out of one of the wings and carried him to the nearest hangar. As we placed an overcoat over the shapeless form, I heard a sniffle behind me and found the red-haired mechanician at my side. "'You didn't get him, you dirty cops. He got away from you after all.' "'Yes, he is safe now,' I murmured. "'Sure, and he would have been always if he hadn't been daff over women. "'He never had no luck when he played the women. "'His taking that skirt out this afternoon was what give him the hoodoo.' "'The coroner came over to him. "'Now that we can't get him, will you tell us about the night Mr. Woods killed Mr. Felderson?' "'The mechanic showed himself distinctly hostile to the coroner.' "'Oh, no, you don't, you fly-cop. "'Think I'll spill the beans and get meself in Dutch? "'You can go to hell.' "'I'll promise you won't be prosecuted "'if you will tell us what happened that night.' "'He looked us over suspiciously, "'but apparently reassured, he said, "'Well, that's fair enough, "'especially since I didn't have nothing to do with the croaking, "'although I know pretty much how it happened. "'The boss there came over to the plant, "'the international plant, you know, about two weeks ago, and had me bring that plane out there over here. We always got along together, the boss and me. We wasn't pals or anything like that, but we understood each other. I'd seen for a couple of months that the boss had something on his mind. I knew it wasn't any Jane, because they never worried him none. He worried them a lot, but somehow he just took em as they come. He talked with me some, he claimed I was the best mechanician he had over there, and I figured it out at last that what he was worrying about was money. He had spent a lot and was free and easy, and it worried him to figure that he was going to go bust pretty soon. The first day I was here, he brought a woman out, a swell looker. I didn't find out till afterwards that it was Felderson's wife, and he kind of kidded her along about helping him over the rough spots, by lending him a little of her dough. I sort of figured out he was going to run off with the woman, cause the next morning he come out and said we could take a month's layoff if we wanted to, as he was going on his honeymoon. I thought he was going to take me along, but when he said that, I made up my mind to beat it back to the plant, to keep from going bugs watching them other guys calling themselves mechanics, tinkin' around them buses when they didn't know their job. It's a darn wonder more these fool dudes out here ain't been killed. Something must have slipped up, because he come out late that afternoon cussin' like the devil. He had one whale of a temper when he got started, the boss did. He took me with him in the bus, and we cruised around the country for a while. Every time he spotted a straight stretch of road without too many trees, he'd come down and look it over. Finally we found that straight stretch of road out by the golf links at the country club, and that must have suited him, 
"'cause that was the only place we come to after that. "'He mounted that machine-gun in there on the plane, "'and it was then I decided he was gonna slip something over on somebody. "'He didn't take me with him after that, "'but two or three times when he come into the field, "'he'd swoop down on that there square target he made "'and put over in the corner, "'and I'd hear that rat-a-tat of the machine-gun a-goin'. "'I asked him what he was going to do with it, and he said, we're a-goin' out one of these nights and kill a skunk. The afternoon of that night we went out to the country club. He come out here kind of excited, but cool, if you know what I mean. You could see there was something on his mind, but just the same he had his head with him every minute. Get me? He told me as soon as it began to get dusk to take the plane out to the country club and land it on the links, about a half mile from the clubhouse, and when I get there, to flash me pocket-lamp until I see him light a cigarette on the clubhouse porch. I done as he told me, and he come out. He wasn't dressed in a jumper, but just a cap and a raincoat over his clothes. He told me to stay there, and after I started the engine, he streaked away. He left about eight o'clock, and was back in fifteen minutes. He slipped me a fifty, and told me to take the plane back, and to forget I'd brought it out. I asked him had he killed his skunk, and he laughed and said I made him pretty sick anyway. I told the boys to have the flares out in the park as I was going to test the machine, so I didn't have no trouble in landing. He stopped and rolled a cigarette. That's all you know, is it? the coroner asked. That's all I knows, so help me, Henry, but ain't it enough? He looked around at the three of us who had been listening intently to his story. I should say it is, said Simpson. End of chapter 17